Well, good morning, friends, as uh, we celebrate this Tuesday, December 29th, another day that we have the opportunity to get together. Of course, I'm assuming that we're still alive in December uh, 29th, uh, because you know who knows what God has in store for us. Uh, I'm taping this way early. Uh, I just am enjoying this book by John Piper called The Passion of Jesus Christ. I've read it before and just felt like it would be a great series for us. And um, you can Go online and try to order this book. It would be great for you to have. I don't hide the fact that I'm reading much of this material right from his book. Um, and then adding some things of my own, obviously, that don't add to what Piper has said, but just uh, things that uh, I felt like would be important. I, I don't need to add to John Piper. I didn't. I hope you didn't take it that way. John Piper's a tremendous uh, man of God. And but I have, um, you know, my my things, too, that I want to add. So turn to Isaiah chapter 53, and uh, this is the basis, really, for this book, is Isaiah chapter 53 in verses 3 through 10. And in verse 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. This is really the, the, the key to this series. And let me read this from Piper. The most important question of the 21st century is, why did Jesus Christ suffer so much? But will we uh, never see the importance if we fail to go through the human cause? The ultimate answer to this question, who, who crucified Christ, is this. And you need to pay attention. God did. It is a staggering thought that Jesus was his son and the suffering was unsurpassed, but the whole message of the Bible leads to this conclusion, the conclusion that God was responsible um, for the crucifixion of his own son. Don't believe that? We just read that in Isaiah 53. Turn to Romans chapter 8, a familiar portion of scripture, um, Romans chapter 8. And in this series, we will... We will need you to take notes and to have your Bibles handy. There's going to be just so much scripture. One of the things I love about Piper is his messages are loaded with scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, speaking of God, he says this, He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with uh, him, graciously give us all things? What is the point of that um, particular passage, it's that God is the one who gave his son for us. Now, Jesus didn't twist the Father's arm. This was a plan uh, of the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it is God who gave up his son to be sacrificed for us. Let's look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. Romans chapter 3 and verse 25 says, God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. God is a God of justice and righteousness. And in order for him to remain a God of justice and righteousness, sin had to be dealt with. Look at a couple of verses up and we look at verse 22. Uh, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God um, created man in his image um, 
and uh, he created him to have a relationship with him. Man chose to do otherwise, which we do and continue to do to this day. But God had a plan for that in the uh, eternity past, knowing full well the heart of man. Look at Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4 and uh, verse 4. It says, but when the time had fully come, God's, again, not bound by time, but he works within time and space for your, your, and our, your sake and my sake. God sent his son, born of a woman, born into the law. God did everything correctly. We were in a legal system. The Jews were in a legal system. God abided by the legal system that he established, remember, on Mount Sinai. And he established his law with his people, and he didn't violate his law when he brought it about. You've heard the term, the passion of Jesus Christ, and literally, uh, it's usually used about just the last week of his life. But the passion of, of Jesus Christ is about his passionate love for us. Passion, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, is from the word, um, the Latin word, which means suffering. And why was his suffering so different? His suffering was so different because he was the sinless Lamb of God. Uh, John says in John one twenty nine, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the only way that he could do that is he had to be this perfect uh, human, human, humanity and divinity uh, together. In the, in the Nicene Creed, it says of Jesus Christ, he was God, very God, a very God meaning that he was equal. The Nicene Creed, about 329 AD after Jesus' death, they felt the need to get together to, to because there was so much false, teach, false teaching about who Christ was, they felt like they needed to get it to, on paper. And the Nicene Creed, uh, Nicene Creed says of Jesus Christ, very God, a very God. Look at, uh, let's look at John chapter one, a very familiar portion of scripture. Very familiar portion of scripture to us in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Remember, John chapter 1 truly precedes Genesis 1 1 in, in time and space because we know that Jesus was eternally existent long before there was this, have this earth. Uh, John 1 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then we go. Down to, uh, let's, no, let's read verses three and four as well. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is not just the life, he is the light of men. In verse 14, this word, the word of John 1, uh, became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see the pre-existence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. 1 Peter 2, 22 says of Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. How could he be crucified and how could he 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 pay the price for our sin um, or uh, be crucified on a cruel cross uh, uh, and suffer if he had no sin? Because he was the sinless lamb of God and the plan from all eternity was this restoration because God knew the hearts of men. God knew that that men would <clears throat> would fail. Turn in that same book, John, to chapter 10. John chapter 10, quickly going through lots of scripture this morning. You can write these down, look them up later if you want. 
uh, John chapter 10, verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority uh, to pick it up again. This command, where did I receive it from? I received it from the Father. God uh, gave his son for us. Jesus willingly gave his life for us. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 says this, 2028, turning pages, turning pages. Matthew 20, 28 says this, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus Christ gives his life for us willingly. The father gives us his son willingly, and he is... um, He is nailed to a cross, but what kept him on the cross, the cliche says, is not the nails, but his love for you and I. But he didn't remain on the cross. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Um, and it says this, uh, Luke speaking here. In my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Remember, he didn't end it, but he began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, after his suffering, he felt every blow. He felt every remark. He felt the spit on him. He felt the blood leaving and the life leaving his side. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing, uh, convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't hide himself in his post-resurrection appearances. He, he appeared to so many um, so that they would understand it, that they would know that he was indeed the son of God. Turn uh, uh, go down a few verses to verse eight, but you will receive power talking to his disciples. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now remember, most of the Jews never went uh, 20, 20 minutes from where they lived. They stayed within the area in which they lived. They walked a certain distance and they came back. They did all of their work and all of their life was mainly within just a few miles of their home. So Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Dia Samaria in the uttermost parts of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before his uh, their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up, still looking intently up into the skies he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, not a, another Jesus, not a new and improved model, but this same Jesus will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You'll see it. And then Paul or uh, Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and he, and he ministers. And in Acts chapter 2, he ministers and, and thousands are saved. And in Acts chapter 3, on the way to the temple, a, a man is healed who has been lame from birth. And uh, they're called before the Sanhedrin. They're called before this powerful body that, that would have caused anyone to shrink back. Remember Peter denying Christ three times. He, he shrunk back even to a little slave girl and said, I don't even know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And yet on the day of Pentecost, God so empowers him and the post-resurrection appearances so empower him that he stands in Acts chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 before the Sanhedrin and he says this, you 
disown the holy and the righteous one. Holy and righteous one are messianic terms and ask that a murderer be released to him. Remember, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. We're not just proclaiming something here that we didn't see and didn't experience and didn't understand, but in real space and time, we experience the resurrected Christ and we stand before you and we say, you had him killed. But look at Acts chapter 5, verses 30 through 32. Acts chapter 5, verses 30 through 32. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness to, to, of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. He says, you are the ones. But truthfully, what he's saying is that God had a plan and that plan would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Um, God had a plan that he would restore what our sins had destroyed and he did uh, fulfill that plan in Jesus Christ. I want to pray for us. I've got so much more, but I'll save that for tomorrow. But in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. The risen Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. Talk to you tomorrow.